Now, one of the uh, biggest things we have as human beings, even though it's invisible, but it is one of the biggest things, is our interior life. We've all got an interior life. By that, I mean we can think and feel, we've got emotions, we can reflect on things and we can work uh, things out. Some of us are like open books and just by looking at the person, you know exactly what's going on inside them. And if that's you, you you will never make a good poker player. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Others of us are the opposite. We're not easy to read. Uh, Still the same stuff is happening uh, and going on inside of us, but we've learned how to contain it uh, a little easier. Now, we might make better poker players. Um, For some of us, we find it easy to pinpoint and work out of our feelings. Uh, For others of us, if we think about it, it's just chaos in there, and trying to work out what's going on is a bit of a nightmare. Some of us invest loads of time to our inner life. For others of us, either because uh, we're too much of an activist, or sometimes it's too painful uh, to go there, uh, we uh, don't put as much effort into that part of our lives. Some of us prefer simply just to get on with it. But it's there, it's real, it's a real part of us. We have stuff. Each of us this morning will have stuff uh, bubbling away. We might not notice it all the time, but it does appear from time to time. And we're all, as we're sitting here, working things out. Dare I say, we're all hiding things and not really revealing what's going on inside of us. We're all feeling and reflecting every moment as we go along. And uh, as I said earlier, some of us invest a lot of time and energy in this because we get empowered by doing it because we think it leads to real knowledge about ourselves and that self-understanding leads to a better me, we think. Some of us don't invest so much time in it. It's, It's either because there's a good match on telly and that really needs to be watched or we prefer to leave feelings where they are because embarrassing, uh, because opening up means uh, it might be embarrassing because we can't contain them or we, uh, something might pop up which we don't want to be there. So it's better just to push down what's going on inside of us. But we're all here sitting in this room with our inner lives, gently working things out, dare I say. We're all engaging with our inner lives Some of us painfully, some of us are in denial about them, some of us are too analytical about it all, some of us are frustrated, some of us are just sitting here wishing that I would just get on with it. Some deal with the inner life artistically and others deal with it matter-of-factly. For some of us, they'll always uh, be private. For others, we just have to share what's going on inside of it. It just oozes out of us. But our inner lives are precious, they are secret, they are quiet, they are the place where I can really be me. My thoughts, my feelings, my intellect, my emotions are what make up the real me. My inner life might not match up with my lips or my actions, so on the outside I could look fine, but on the inside I'm crying like a baby. Or on the outside I might have been diagnosed with cancer and look frail and weak, but on the inside something of courage is building up and enabling me to have strength to face the battle. It's a complex business, this inner life, but it's as real as anything. And this inner life is the place of prayer. This is where words and phrases and thoughts and feelings all combine in some kind of fragile and sometimes glorious way to somehow connect us to God. This is the place where God 
operates. This is the place of God's greatest miracles. The place when at our most vulnerable and maybe most appalling state, we feel or we recognise or we understand or we grasp that somehow we matter to God and what goes on inside of us can somehow be transformed, reordered, renewed, reformed in one big or many little miraculous ways. Our inner life is the place where we come face to face uh, with Jesus and our response to this Jesus we start to engage with is prayer. And this could be a conversation, it could be a groan, it could be an intellectual kick around, a moment of clarity, silence in the midst of noise, peace in the midst of chaos, an overwhelming emotion perhaps of I am values, I am loved, I am significant, an overwhelming recognition that I am forgiven, there is a second chance, another way, there is hope. For some of us we're just clinging on with our inner life uh, because uh, we feel as though God maybe hasn't shown up as we'd like him to or he's left us in the lurch or he's not quite what he used to be or I'm not quite what I used to be or he hasn't done what I needed him to do. Maybe our inner life is an angry place but within us is a space and a place where we can relate, engage, draw alongside, receive, accept, enjoy and search for God. And then discovering as we search is actually being there all the time. All of this is prayer. And this space is so precious, we neglect it at our peril. It's the place where key ideas and key decisions are formed and developed. It's the place where we learn to deal with ourselves as we really are. We stop pretending about who we are and start to own who we are. It's dynamic, it's an eternal space. It's never full, it's always growing, it's always developing. It has endless possibilities and yet also it has compartments in it for rest and healing and renewal. And Paul invites us into this space in his reading today, in the reading we just had read to us by Julie today. This is his prayer space, uh, which is on display for us to see. So if you want to have your Bibles at uh, Ephesians 3 or your smartphones uh, at Ephesians 3 at the end of it, I'll, I'll look at it from uh, time to time to, and hopefully take us on our journey. This is the internal life of Paul for all to see and read this morning. And you can see it's quite a beautiful space. He shares it with us, and as he shares it, he also shares a dynamic and incredible picture of God. It's as if all his experience and understanding and pondering of God pours out of him, and it helps us to see how much uh, see much more clearly who this God is actually for Paul. And if God is like this for Paul, this too can be our God. It's a vibrant, life-giving and tremendously exciting view of God which Paul puts on display for us this morning. And this view of God, as you'll know if you've been with us here over the last uh, few weeks, for Paul this view of God comes from a dangerous and from a terrible place. Paul is writing this, these words, praying this prayer from prison. As we see in verse 13, this prayer comes in the context of suffering. This is the place where Paul could have spouted on about how life is so unfair and difficult and, re and unreasonable and how he must have justice. And as we've already heard this morning, 
Nothing of that is in his thinking as he writes this prayer. His interior life is caught up in a much more glorious place than his physical life. He could have been completely angry about his situation. Instead, he's seeing something bigger. And so he prays and an incredible prayer. And it's an incredible prayer for the church or a collection of churches based around the church in and the town of Ephesus. Ephesus, sorry. So it's not an individualistic prayer, it's a prayer for a community. And in his prayer, he uses relational language. In verse 14, we read, I kneel before the Father. Now, I've heard sermons which are 20, 30 minutes long about kneeling. We're not going to think about kneeling this morning. But it's a, he's praying before uh, the Father. And he's kneeling in, in prayer. And uh, what is important about this is he's doing it before the Father. Paul chooses to express what is within him to the Father. And why did he choose that phrase, the Father? Why did he choose that way of describing God in this place? I'll be honest with you, because today that kind of phraseology, I know, can cause problems. In today's language, it sounds a bit sexist, because God could have used a non-sexist term like creator, because God is the creator. So why didn't Paul choose to say, I kneel before the God, our creator? Well, the answer is something significant is happening here. Paul isn't addressing his prayer to some kind of anonymous great creator power, but to someone who is knowable and relatable. God isn't distant and far off and remote, but he is up close and personable. That is the God who Paul knows. And in his inner being, this for Paul is expressing God as Father. I know God and I call him Father. Now, some of us I know will have personal problems with this term too. Our own experiences of our own fathers can be painful and there can sometimes be difficult histories there. But Paul is trying to be very positive uh, here. He's addressing, addressing some kind of dysfunctional uh, father figure, but the perfect the knowable and the kind Father. This is a positive picture of God in his inner being, in his internal life. He has discovered, Paul has discovered this, God to be kind and gracious. And the way Paul expresses it is by calling him Father. Paul, in his prayer, is encouraging us that God is relatable. As we turn to him, as we cry out to God, he is knowable and God's intention is, is to be kind. His intention is to listen and to engage and to hear. There is real relationship there in this internal life. Jesus said, when you pray, and he went on to recite our Father who is in heaven. And Paul continues that in our inner lives. We too have this opportunity to speak out to a knowable God, to encounter him, to listen to him. And then Paul does something very important as he reaches out to God and speaks him. He recognises that this God, this Heavenly Father, as he calls him, is the God for everyone. In verse 15, he declares that he is the God from whom every family derives its name. God is the God 
of everybody. God doesn't just offer a club for a few chosen uh, people. His intention is to be a God for everybody. God isn't just the God of the church. There is a universal element to God. He is linked to everyone. His care and his love is for everyone. This means that within every single human being is dignity, value, identity. Whether or not they follow God or know God or choose in their inner life to reach out to God, God still places dignity and value in every person, whatever their religion, woman or man, boy or girl, black or white, LGBT or straight, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. There is dignity as everyone is connected to God as part of his family and vice versa. In this uh, week when Theresa May and her government has chosen to reject the Dubs Amendment about trafficked children, I think it's important to remember. In this week when we have a government who's chosen not to take up their full allocation of child refugees which they promised, I think it's important for us to note God places immense value on those child refugees he sees them as part of his family. They have no voice. They could have been rescued from traffickers and their situation. But apparently, in a country of the wealth of Britain and all the resources of Britain, there is no way of rescuing them. I know that might be a simplistic way of looking at politics, but it's important to note that it matters. Everyone has value. Paul's rich inner life had discovered that God is a big God with the capability of loving what is now 7.5 billion of the world's population. It's not just for the few, Paul's God. A big heart and a big acceptance are part of allowing God the space in our inner lives. And for Paul, this God is a rich, dynamic an outward-focused God. He has endless resource, which is why in verse 16, Paul prays that God would strengthen the church. And now remember again, if you've been here over the past few weeks, Paul isn't writing to a strong church. It's made up of people which we would probably say are at the bottom of society, maybe slaves or ex-sex workers, exiles, and they are situated in a hostile anti-Christianity environments and so Paul prays for these people in the difficult place for strength it's a beautiful thought it's a thought of that the weak could be strong and that's something that God does time and time again I told you a few weeks ago about a Iranian friend of mine um, who's been trying to stay here in the UK he's a Christian and he's married with two lovely kids and it's a long story but uh, the, that uh, they are trying to deport him and he is in a difficult uh, situation and he does face the real threat of persecution in Iran because he's converted from the Muslim faith. So you can imagine my happiness the other week when he texted me to say that he'd won the case and that he could stay in the UK. However, yesterday I heard from a good friend of his that once again he is facing the real threat of deportation and separation from his family because the Home Office have decided to appeal the judgment. And the pressure is appalling 
once again on them. They're in a weak and powerless situation, reliant on lawyers and civil servants and uh, the mark of a judge's pen to set them free and release them from the burden of uncertainty and separation. And within me, and again this sounds a bit trite to say, is all I have to give them is to encourage them to have courage and to be strong. We don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm praying that this family might discover in their desperation a bit of God's strength and courage. It's difficult for them, and the only thing I can give them is the hope of this courage. Can you, if you're a praying person, pray for my Iranian friends from the West Midlands over the next uh, few weeks? Just remember, Richard's Iranian friends from the West Midlands in your prayers, because it would be great that they're just prayed for. Pray for that strength and courage for them at this very uncertain and difficult time for them. But strength in weakness is a gift of God. Paul, in his weak situation, in a prison cell, is to, able to pray out strength when all seems lost. And this strength for Paul uh, is found in verse 16 uh, when he talks about uh, the inner being uh, by Uh, his own inner being, and he talks about the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus that they may have the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is praying that God himself, the Holy Spirit, will be right at the centre of them in their inner beings. In other words, in their inner lives, in their prayers, in their interior lives. He's praying that they might have uh, hope and joy and peace and courage and the strength of God. There's a real tangible sense that God would be the centre of their reality. Just as Paul clearly demonstrates the Holy Spirit's presence in his life as he writes these words, he wants exactly the same for the people of that church. Because he knows two things about this. He knows firstly that the Holy Spirit will help them in their faith and in their working out of who Jesus is. If the Holy Spirit is filling your imaginations and your prayers, you are going to understand and believe and have faith in Christ. As Paul says in verse 17, better. It is the key of having the Holy Spirit, a thing of having the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit simply points you towards Jesus and helps you to know him more and follow him more. This is what Paul wants so much for those who follow Jesus in their interior lives. Paul wants people to be filled with the Spirit so the whole wonder of God can be part of their experience. So this is why, week in, week out here, it seems, at P's and G's, we bang on so much about the Holy Spirit. If you want to strengthen your faith, if you want to discover uh, this Holy Spirit dynamic in your life, pray for it, seek it, go for prayer ministry, ask for Holy Spirit, because often in the Bible, when people are prayed for, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. God knows some of us would never do that, so he fills us privately as well with the Holy Spirit, if that is uh, the case. The Holy Spirit increases our expectancy of God and takes our prayer lives in a dynamic and empowering and significant new direction. Don't be scared of this part. The second thing is about having the dynamic of God's Spirit in our lives is that God's love becomes more dynamic in our lives too. In other words, love fills our inner lives. 
When I was filled with the Holy Spirit as an 18-year-old with lots of spots, the only way I could describe it was I was filled with love. I remember Maureen from the West Midlands after being prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. She started to glow, and it was, it was quite funny to watch, actually. But all she could blurt out as she was starting to glow was that she felt so much love. Love is what follows being filled with God himself. It's not just that we have faith, but the actual fruit of that faith fills us in a more positive way, and that fruit is love. And this love isn't just a feeling. It's much, much bigger than a feeling. I was speaking to somebody this morning about not feeling this, this kind of thing. It's much bigger and more robust than feelings. Love is always more than the feelings. It's about knowing we are safe, that we belong and that we count. Love is knowing no matter what, we are accepted and significant and that we have something to offer. Love is knowing that we don't need to be constrained, that we can reach out, that we can make a difference. It's not uh, a selfish thing about these feelings. It's a community thing. All together we can have this. Together our love can make a bigger impact. Love gives us the confidence to go that extra mile. Love helps us to move forward when everyone else has given up. Love takes us deeper and allows us to take more risks. Love gives us that strength to put others first. It allows us to rest our agendas and support others in their own agenda. And for me, I saw love last night when a wonderful guest at Stoll Food, it's the first time they've ever been to see me, uh, been to Stoll Food, they stood in front of me with this huge plate of lovely looking food, great sausages and vegetables and everything. They stood in front of me grinning and just saying, thank you so much because they got the click that that food was made out of love and they were going to enjoy it so much. For Paul, love is everything. It covers everything. It's beyond everything. It changes everything. It gives opportunities when we thought they'd gone. and It changes our own narratives. It stops us thinking we are nothing. Paul's inner life was able to describe Christ's love as wide, as long, as high and deep. It surpasses all knowledge, he says. It's not about what you know. And in love, you can know the fullness of God. Just look at verses 18 and 19. He puts it so much better than me. In other words, in our hearts, in our church, in our communities, somehow all the fullness of love that is God, can come bubbling out of his people. And that love is so strong and powerful, it gives us the ability to change anything. We don't need to be stuck anymore. We can move on. We can move forward. Possibilities are endless. All is not hopeful. All things in Jesus are possible. It's only God's love which does this. In verse 20, what's known in proper posh church circles as the doxology, Paul describes this God as the one who can do immeasurably more. He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. God is a God who can do more. He can do everything and anything. We have that story at the centre of our community. God can do more. He's not given up on us but he's doing more despite everything. We carry that story too in our interior lives as we engage, as we imagine, as we debate inside ourselves, as we work out, as we express our feelings, as we pray. We do so knowing that whatever we are doing or imagining or uh, are capable of, God can do immeasurably more. God can do more, more than we ask or imagine. God is more. 
He can do more. He will do more. God is the God who can turn things around, who brings hope even in despair. He is the peace when alarm bells are going off and we let stress and anxiety and doubt be the voice we listen to. So this is just a quick glimpse of Paul's interior life. Despite everything he was facing, he hadn't neglected this life and it enabled him to discover this rich, dynamic life. And it enabled this, this... Life inside him enabled, it sort of became like a voice and a heartbeat and a challenge and an encouragement as he prayed. And he knew this wasn't just for him or for his generation because he says in verse 21, it is for all generations. So let's take note of our interior lives, not just our personal lives, but also our life as a community. Let's include God right at the centre of those lives. Let's discover prayer. And as we do so, let's discover God's strength, his Holy Spirit. Let's deepen our faith. Let's live out in this love and be his love. Let's be transformed by love. But also, let's engage with a God who can do immeasurably more. Let's face it. We're living at times where we need God to do immeasurably more. Let that immeasurably more start with us, start with me, start with this community. God bless you all.